This episode is brought to you by the Pickford Film Center, presenting Rooftop Cinema, free screenings of films five stories high in the sky. Three Friday nights this summer on top of the Commercial Street parking garage in downtown Bellingham. Featuring a beer garden, food court, music, karaoke, activities, a 360-degree view of Bellingham from the Bay to Mount Baker, and a killer sunset to boot. This year's lineup for Pickford Film Center's Rooftop Cinema includes Selena on Friday, July 12th, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing on Friday, July 26th, and Scream on Friday, August 9th. The events are free to the public, and everyone's invited. For more information, visit pickfordfilmcinema.org. This episode is brought to you by Jeff Bramus, recycling real estate in Bellingham since 2001. Jeff Bramus, real estate for real people. The following program contains adult subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Little City Big Sound. I'm David Pender Lofgren. In the intro to last month's episode, I mentioned that here at the Bellpod Network, we've got some new shows in the works. Well, I am beyond excited to announce that the first of those new shows will premiere July 15th. Hosted by Leo Cohen from Cohen Group Northwest, Building Bellingham will feature interviews with local entrepreneurs, exploring their lives and the businesses they have built. It's an opportunity to hear from the people who live and work in our local economy, to hear them talk about how they've taken risks, faced challenges, made mistakes, and persevered to become the owners of successful Bellingham businesses. Leo's first guest is Jesse Nelson, who, feeling like his career in marketing wasn't satisfying, quit his job to start Overflow Taps, a business built on the idea that charitable giving can be part of the business model. Overflow Taps now has two locations in Whatcom County and has donated over $30,000 to help establish clean drinking water sources in developing nations. Jesse's story is incredible. You won't want to miss it. So take a moment now to subscribe to Building Bellingham. And again, the first episode will be released July 15th with new episodes coming out on the third Monday of each month moving forward. Okay, now for this episode of Little City Big Sound. Our guest this month has been a regular presence in Bellingham's music community since the early 2000s, when he co-founded the Gallus Brothers. Since then, Devin Champlin has been entertaining audiences in the Pacific Northwest as a member of the Shadies, the Crowquill Night Owls, and most recently with his band, the Sons of Rainier. In addition to playing a variety of instruments, Devin has established himself as a talented luthier, designing, building, and repairing guitars in Whatcom County for about a decade now. He's about to open his first retail space on the ground floor of the Leopold Building downtown. Devin showed up to our interview with a beater guitar in one hand, a bottle of Prosecco in the other, and shared both with Andy and I, as well as stories about busking, songwriting, and what it takes to build someone's fantasy guitar. Okay, here's our conversation. Devin Champlin, welcome. Thank you, David. You grew up in Chicago, right? I did. From what I understand, your your mom was a visual artist, your dad plays in a blues band, so you were like clearly surrounded by creativity growing up. Did you start playing music at an early age? Not super early. I, st- I started when I was 10 playing guitar. Um, it was very uh, informal, you know. I didn't have structured lessons or anything, but... Uh, but there was guitars around the house, and so I did, you know, definitely there was a love of music around. I used to, like, pluck guitar strings and just, like, trip out on that. Just, like, watch them vibrate or something? Yeah, literally, yeah, you know? Uh, yeah, watch the the vibration get wide and narrow and listen to the sound decay. As a kid, it sounds like you were drawn to, like, punk and hardcore music. Yeah, definitely through through high school, that was that was a big part of my my social and musical world. What drew you to that? Like, what about those scenes was appealing to you? I'm I'm not sure why why the initial attraction, but I was into skateboarding. I was into 
there was the music and definitely the culture, I think, was very attractive. You know, it was the social world. And, you know, I didn't have, like, Liberty Spikes and, like, a leather jacket or anything. But um, but I was definitely, like, involved in, like, the all-ages punk scene in Chicago and, and played in bands. And, and I, I loved the music, for sure. It was it was heavy and loud and felt great when I was 17. Still sounds good, but I, I don't go there anymore. Were you growing up in... Uh, in Chicago, like in the city proper? I was in the city proper until I was about 12. So, and then, and then we moved into the suburbs just outside of the city, which was, you know, it was like a short distance, but felt like a colossal shift, uh, just social, cultural world. Your life is so much about music these days. Was that, did it start then? Like, were you going into the city all the time? Checking out music. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's one venue in particular, uh, the Fireside Bowl, which is kind of uh, a legendary place, or was. This is the mid '90s in Chicago. It was all ages, you know, mostly punk venue, and yeah, I was there many, many a night through high school. So explain to me how like a, a punk rocker in a Chicago suburbs ends up in Bellingham. Right. Okay. So I mean, yeah, the path. I left Chicago with my comfortable gas station job with my girlfriend, who I loved very much, and we moved to Tucson. And we didn't have much of a reason to be there, except she did have some family connection in northern Arizona, which was like 200 miles away. So we're in Tucson, hanging out, being young hippies, doing psychedelics and playing music, making art, and just doing that thing, you know, uh, or whatever that thing is. And traveling was a part of that, you know, just kind of exploring stuff. So we had done some traveling, some camping, some road tripping um, together, a little hitchhiking, alternative travel <laughs> means. And, uh, and then at some point I was in my pickup truck and I hadn't talked to my girlfriend in like a week and then yeah and then I checked my email that's when I got the dear Devin email saying you know stay on the road I'm, I found something and so uh what I did when I got that breakup email was I actually found a farm after, after kind of bumming around for about a week I saw a flyer for help wanted at a farm up in Linden near Linden and so I went to work at this farm and stayed there for a couple months. Yeah. And, and we would come into town and go to open mics at the Wild Buffalo. I mean, this was in like 2000, I think. So that's when you start to sort of see what the Bellingham music scene is. At. That was my intro, you know, yeah, which was definitely different. So I, I went back to Tucson after that, and I came back a couple times in a row. So I think it was maybe the next year, like 2001, that I met. Robert Blake when I was busking with my banjo and uh, and he walked up and he offered me a set break at his show with the High Wyatt Handsome Band at the Beer Garden at Boundary Bay. And that was, I feel like, when I really was like, oh yeah, like kind of saw some of the music scene anyway in Bellingham, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was a nice intro, you know, Robert Blake was like really, you know, he was very friendly to me. I'm surprised, honestly, you know, because I mean, I see, I don't know, I feel like since I have been a young, long haired, bearded, hippie guy playing banjo on the street, I feel like I've seen other people, we're all different, but I've seen other people with like similar paths. You know, you do something, you think you're unique or something, and then like, you're like, oh no, I wasn't actually that unique. I was just 21, and you know, a lot of people who are 21 kind of do something like that. And you know, for that, I'm kind of surprised that uh, that Robert Blake, for whatever reason, actually invited me to do that because you know he seems like kind of a picky guy. <laughs> I don't think he would he would he would do that with a lot of hippies. So I guess I had something. I don't know. I don't know what. At that point, had you moved to Bellet? Like, had, had you decided to live here? Was that, like, were you on, just still sort of traveling on, on like... Yeah, uh, I was not living in Bellingham at that time. I was I was either at the farm and just hanging in town, or I might have... For a while, I kind of used to just basically camp uh, on the outskirts of town. Yeah, so it was probably around then. 
tell me about how you started playing music with Lucas Hicks. I met Lucas Hicks at, at Old Town Cafe, and I think it was 2001, uh, and I was playing music, and I was playing guitar, I think, uh, finger-picking, which I was getting really into at the time, and, uh, and he had approached me, and I don't remember, we had some nice conversation, like he was just like, oh, I like that tune, you know, we are obviously both kind of nerding out about some old music, and yeah, and, and it was a really... Just it was a nice conversation, and uh, and then I didn't see him again for like a year, but when I did again, we remembered each other, and yeah, I don't know, it was just kind of a spark. It was like, oh yeah, I, I like you, you know, yeah. We you know, there was something maybe just the shared interests, and then yeah, he had moved to San Francisco. I was living in Bellingham, and then at some point, it was at Old Town Cafe again, and I was playing, and he was. Back in town visiting, and he said, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm moving back to Bellingham. When when I do, we should play music together." And, and I was like, "Yeah." And and so that's what happened. Basically, yeah, he moved back, and we, we started a band pretty fast. Um, yeah, I think within a couple of months, we had played our first show as the Gallus Brothers. Yeah, and you know, people really responded to what we were doing right off the bat so we got a lot of just you know basic opportunities to play like a weekly gig at, at Boundary Bay and we actually were playing at the 3B up until they closed uh and yeah just had a bunch of bunch of opportunities to play and and people come out to the shows and dance and we played a bunch people liked it it was cool can you tell me what the Gallus brothers means when Lucas and I first met we we're both wearing suspenders. He said, you know, Gallus is an old name for suspender or Galluses. So he, he's the one who had that that old-time nerd info in his brain. <laughs> and then it's just kind of a dumb name, but that's that's what we stuck with once we started playing shows. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you guys built, like, a huge following in town. I, it seems like the Boundary shows were a big, so you know, just having, like, sort of a weekly regular thing, place for people to go out. You know, that's a, that's a, you were doing awesome stuff and you were around enough that people could just keep coming, keep showing up and like build. It seems like a real community built around that band. Yeah, definitely. I, I, it was pretty special to be a part of. And yeah, yeah, there's a whole social scene. I mean, people, I think I saw, you know, relationships start and end, you know, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, people who are now like, married and with babies and all this stuff who probably, you know, started dancing there. I don't know. Yeah, there was definitely a social world, you know, but I was, you know, also like on like, you know, this edge of it, I guess, because as a performer, you know, it's like there's this weird like boundary or something, you know. Yeah, we've talked about that with a couple of other guests. There's this whole thing of like, you're to like you're, you know, it's a different thing to be on the stage facilitating the community thing. Yeah. Or like one of the people that's dancing every week, right? Completely. Yeah, yeah. So there was this big social scene that like, yeah, I didn't feel like, like I had some dear friends who were there for sure, you know, but uh, but yeah, also like (laughs) there's like people who I saw every week who like never talked to me, you know, because I think there was just something, you know, they didn't like me clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Did it feel cool, though? Like, did it feel nice to be a kid who's playing banjo on the street and then, like, without too much time passing, all of a sudden you're, you've got a band in town, you're playing every week, and there's a ton of people that are showing up for your shows, and, like, there's, there is a thing that is building, an energy that's building around the music that you're yeah. doing. Yeah, that felt, that was really nice, for sure. Yeah, I was absolutely, like, sleeping in the bushes and, and playing playing music in front of the bagelry and stuff, and then like the next year, I was like, I was playing to forty people a night and, and renting a small room. I'd hit the big time. I mean, I never I, when I, for for what it's worth, when I was playing banjo on the street, that was that was awesome. That that was all I wanted to do. You know, it wasn't like I was doing that because I was like trying to do something else. You know, that that's what I was trying to do. But yeah, it still was. It's it's fun to perform, you know. And uh, I think I think I did have a desire at that point to to share music and to share it more in a way than just playing it on the street and at open mic. So it it felt awesome and validating to 
to be able to play shows and have people show up. Do you remember if you felt like what you guys were doing was special or whether it was just an anomaly that all these people were into this thing? It felt very special, yeah, to me and to the people involved, I think. It, it was a special thing. I'll say this. Lucas was a special guy. So there was that. The Gallus Brothers, that run of you guys playing together up until the Jamboree two years ago. Mm-hmm. And maybe you played some shows after that. No, that was our last show. I mean, that was a long run. Yeah. Was there a time when it felt like it changed from being uh, this thing that you were like actively engaged in and doing because it was the, the work you were wanting to pursue? At some point, did it turn into like, uh, was there something more performative about it? Because <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, like for me, it for some of us, like it's watching you guys play in real time was somehow nostalgic. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Well, the first maybe three or four years we were playing as a band, I think it was a very large part of both of our lives. You know, we were actively playing, we were touring, we were uh, recording, and, you know, I mean, we, weren't, we weren't trying to, like, make it big, but we were pursuing our art, you know, and we were pursuing that as one of our biggest biggest focuses of our of our art and then yeah after a while I mean and we never really talked about it me and Lucas but we certainly just kind of naturally slowed down our attention to what we were putting into it anymore like we had we had built up a repertoire of music and antics and just built our relationship to the point where it was easy to get together at any point and just show up somewhere and play some music and put on a show. So, um, yeah, so we, we stopped trying to book shows probably after, you know, after three or four years. Um, and then it seemed like, you know, we would have offers come in for, we want you to play this festival or we want you to do this thing or, you know, would you come across the mountains and play some private party and we'd be like sure so for a lot of those those last years of us being a band you know it's not like we played all that many shows a year you know but we were always happy to do it uh at the time that you guys started the gallus brothers lucas knew that he had cancer right yeah one of the things that happened that i think was so attractive at least to me about watching you guys play is like there was always this sense of energy and joy. We as an audience picked up on it. It was, it was, it was, uh, you were transmitting a sense of joy that was really palpable. I think it's part of why the community built around it. It felt so good. And I wonder if there was like some sense of mortality or particularly of Lucas's mortality that informed how and why you guys got on the stage? Yeah, I, I, it's a good question, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I can't speak for Lucas, and I don't know. We've maybe had talked of that to some degree. I mean, certainly talked about his, you know, his cancer, but uh, his mortality. You know, his death didn't seem to be knocking at his door in those years, but it, it seemed much more real than if he didn't have cancer, you know. So I'm, I'm sure having that, knowing that he had cancer made him uh, carp diem like a mofo, even though it wasn't like he was about to die from it imminently. But, I mean, I think the joy that we made in the music was was something real, you know, between us and and including the crowd, something that was happening and uh and we were having so much fun. And yeah, part of that may have been somewhere 
in the background that that knowledge of Lucas's illness, but um, it was never something I thought about in the moment. It's not like, oh, we better play good tonight because this might be the last one. It was, you know, obviously, I know that's not what you're asking, but yeah. No, but, uh, yeah. you know, and I don't want to force a narrative on this that, like, uh, you know, I don't want you to try and have to explain an, uh, a narrative that I came up with. Right, you know? right. I mean, but other people have asked me about stuff like that before. You know, I remember, like, talking with someone and be like, do you think, like, do you think Lucas has this sense of, like, mortality so he's just, like, going for it in this way? And, and you know, that same question, basically, but on a different thing. And I, and I remember saying, no. Then I was like, I don't think that. I don't think you can, you know, I think I think he's just living, you know, like he does. I think he's just a cool guy, you know. Um, yeah, and he was just a cool dude, and he was just fucking living. So concurrent to like you uh, doing the Gallus Brothers stuff, since you moved to Bellingham, you've been involved in a wide variety of musical projects. Yeah, including playing your own music, just sort of solo performance. You have what, like three albums of just solo stuff? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, the albums are are like mixed bags of <laughs> odds and ends, but yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, what uh, at what point you started adding other projects, or if that stuff happened, you know, around the same time that the Gallus Brothers was born, like um, during the same time that uh, Lucas and I were starting the Gallus Brothers and first playing. I mean, I had also been writing a lot of songs and just playing, you know, as a solo musician, uh, doing the old-timey stuff, the old-time tunes that I was really falling in love with, and then also just making up stuff that was pleasing me. And I didn't do much with it other than, uh, you know, I recorded some of it and released it, these are my air quotes, but I didn't try and do anything with it. But yeah, the songwriting was always happening and continued to happen over the years, just not with any intention behind it. I was I was writing songs because because I had a creative urge, and so that's what I'd do, and and I'd perform them like once a year at some random solo show that somebody would somehow you know corner me into. And usually I get like, oh, I didn't know you were, those are cool, you write songs or something like that, you know, and so, but which which is fine enough for me. Um, you brought a guitar with you mm-hmm. into the studio. Could you, could you play a song for us? I will. <clears throat> is it rolling, Bob? Climbing to the top of that mountain Till everybody gets so small I can't see them I dig out an ice cave and I chew on a fern root Stay up until the sunrise and I dance with myself Like rolling down the highway on my skateboard Till I get to the old town Where I'd never been before I'd fiddle for my pancakes And I'd chew on the strong coffee Shake hands with the carpenters And the moms and the babies I feel like floating in a boat down this river With a deck of cards and a sandwich and a lighter I'd grab onto a low branch and I'd swing myself shorewise I'd lay in the cool grass, try and talk with the crickets
like grabbing on to a fast-moving freight train And shouting no sleep till Cheyenne, Wyoming But get off in Green River, make friends and eat french fries Metallica playing on the jukebox till closing time I feel like laying down on a pipe under a bridge In the middle of a wasteland that feels just like paradise Toast to my dead friends and toast to the living Stay up until the sunrise and I dance with myself Revel in the cool breeze and I taste the salt water Stand in the low tide and I dance with myself That's great, man. Thanks, dog. Uh, so that song is entitled Pipe of Doom. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it that way, but... How would you say it? Pipe of Doom. No, I'm just giving you shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, Pipe of Doom. <laughs> when did you write that song? Uh, maybe four years ago. Like, right when I moved. I moved to Seattle for, for a few years, um, and so that I, I, I wrote that then because I think I was... I think I was just kind of missing Bellingham, honestly, is, you know, I mean, at least some some of it is kind of touching on that, you know, like wanting to roll down the highway on my skateboard and go to the old town. That was basically, that was a very real desire. Have you ever heard, it's simple, it just ain't easy? I'm Leo Cohen with the Cohen Group Northwest, and I'm the host of Building Bellingham, a new podcast from the Bell Pod Network. Each month, I'll sit down with people behind some of your favorite Bellingham businesses. I'll dig deeper into who they are, how they got started, what inspires them, and how they overcame the challenges they've faced along the way. Starting a business isn't easy. Sustaining a business is even harder, but our community is filled with folks who have dedicated their lives to doing just that. And I wanna know, what does it take to turn an idea into an institution? Gosh, Bellingham is such an interesting melting pot of people and skills and businesses, and this is just going to be that push, that push to go try things and really give them 100%. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and join me each month because together we are building Bellingham. This episode is brought to you by Irish and Folk Mondays at Boundary Bay Brewery. Every Monday, Jan Peters hosts a thriving Irish music session followed by a stunning acoustic concert series featuring local, regional, and nationally touring artists performing a wide variety of folk and traditional music. Listeners and players alike can enjoy the great selection of food and drink available in the Boundary Bay Beer Garden, experience the age-old tradition of session playing with Bellingham's intergenerational Celtic music community, and revel in the world-class sounds of the feature performance. This month, Jan Songs Productions is proud to present the incredible guitar stylings of Dublin native Colm McCarthy, Songs of the Raging Sea by Pint and Dale, The Singular Sounds of Gallo Glass, and Quebecois trad duo Zieg. For showtimes and more, visit jansongsproductions.com and follow Irish and Folk Mondays on Facebook. Irish and Folk Mondays at Boundary Bay Brewery, where the only boundaries are the beers. So in the early part of 2017, you formed the Sons of Rainier. And all of the songs that this band plays, you are the songwriter. Like, you're the songwriter of the band. But it's played in, like, beautiful three-part harmony with these really careful instrumental arrangements, carefully arranged uh, parts. Is this the first time that you 
have had a band. Is the Sons of Rainier like the first band that was formed exclusively around your songwriting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and I, I, you know, I'm so, I feel so lucky and grateful to have had that band happen. I mean, it was very accidental to stumble into it. Um, I had the songs, I had some of the songs I'd been playing and I'd been recording, you know, like if you, if you check out like some of the early albums that you had referenced, you'll hear like three-part harmonies and instrumental overdubs, you know, because I was basically doing that on GarageBand on my computer, you know. Oh, so that's all of you singing all the harmonies and stuff. No, I mean the, on, the early, the old, on the yeah, old, on the old, old, yeah, solo album stuff. Yeah, um, it's it's all me just just nerding out like late at night in my in my bedroom, you know. And so that was basically I was I was doing that. I was in Seattle. And I had met this friend, Dean, Dean Johnson, and he's got this really nice high voice, and he's just a really nice guy. And I, and I figured I'm gonna ask Dean if he'll if he'll sing some harmonies with me, and maybe uh, maybe instead of recording my own voice over my songs, I'll have a different person's voice to do. So I had sent him some recordings with the harmonies on it, and he was really into it, and he had kind of was like well what about that third part you know and I said yeah well I don't I don't know we'll figure something out and he had suggested Sam but it was all just kind of about like a you know like a one-off recording project in my mind like maybe we would play a show and just they were they were going to help me record was basically what I had in mind uh but they both got some motivation about it I mean Sam just straight up asked me said so do you want to start a band like with this like what do you want to do with this and I think I said, you know, no, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. No, really? I, maybe. Sure. With you guys, I guess. And yeah, man, yeah, it, it was it was great. So I was really lucky to stumble into it that way. So for, for the Sons of Rainier, were you writing the songs and arranging, like it sounds like you wrote the harmony parts, I mean, because you had pre-recorded some of this stuff. Are you doing the instrumental arrangements too? Like how much of it is like your vision being played out by these people and how much of it is a collaborative effort of building the arrangements and stuff? It's both. I mean, definitely mo- most of the harmony stuff is stuff that I kind of bring to the band and I say, you know, I, I want to do this. This is my vision. I hear like ooze here and I hear I hear you guys, this calm response. Um, there's all sorts of room for change in that and... Uh, you know, and both Sam and Dean have brought up some some good ideas for for different arrangements. But um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of the foundation of it, I you know, I kind of I guess I kind of had rolling in my head. Uh, you know, Sam's uh, snare drumming lines are completely his. Most of Dean's guitar parts are completely his, and he's to me just such a stunning guitar player. You know. Um, like there's a few few ideas I had here and there where I was like, oh, I kind I kind of hear something like this, but mostly he's just taking it. Yeah, so it's it's both, you know. But yeah, I'd say the vocal stuff. I mean, is kind of coming from me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Charlie's bass bass lines, he totally just does his does his thing as he as he chooses, you know, and and he does it right. So there's 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 no argument. What does it feel like to have to like all of a sudden have these great musicians that can like realize your bedroom layering uh, ideas in real time like what, it, is, what does it feel like to be on a stage and have that happen yeah it's it's amazing and it's awesome um i mean yeah once in a while because we do a couple songs that i had wrote a long time ago that i had recorded sort of four track style you know and uh and so yeah once in a while i do think of that on stage i'm like this is really neat that at one point i had recorded this like kind of all myself and now we're doing this live with people like it's really cool in addition to that like it's just the best part is like I don't know I've got these three other guys who we all I mean it's not just the musical thing but like you know we just like also fell into this really neat little unit of of friends you know like who who you know creatively and just you know uh we like each other. <laughs> it seems that way. I'm, like from the audience, it it feels that way, which is cool. And it strikes me that that's, you know, this is two groups where 
you kind of don't necessarily intend to put something big together. And inside of the groups, both with the Gallus Brothers and the Sons of Rainier, uh, you've created music that really resonates with audiences. I mean, the Sons of Rainier, as soon as you guys started playing, became like the darlings of the Bellingham music world. And you found like real friendships, like created, you know, these these awesome relationships inside of the band. Is that just luck or is there something that, is that what you're looking for when you're like putting this stuff together? <laughs> it's absolutely dumb luck. I have no explanation for it, you know. I feel very fortunate and I feel very lucky. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I mean... I want I want good things to happen, but I can't say that I'm doing any anything in particular to cultivate good things. Yeah, so I, yeah, I've been very lucky in my life, you know. But as for the musical thing, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I don't I don't you know. I wish I was like, oh yeah, well, you know, I, I did go to college for like how to cultivate cool bands, <laughs> but but uh, but yeah, it's pretty much just like no, I'm just like. Dumb lucky dude. I don't know. So as far as the Sons of Rainier are concerned, it seems like a lot of publications, uh, like a lot of different coverage that you've gotten will label them. like, yeah, they sound like old country. They mm. sound like British invasion pop rock. They sound like, you know, dua, ponky tonk, all of this. It's all over the place what people say that they feel like you guys sound like. It does seem like the common theme is sort of you know, this is original music that seems old and familiar, right? Um, what do you feel like that band sounds like? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I I wouldn't know. I mean, I, I would take anybody's description as good enough because that's what they're hearing. But, you know, I, I guess I don't, yeah, I don't have like, a vision with like trying to craft the sound to sound like it's like I, I want this one to have this sort of you know like 1965 doo-wop slash whatever like I, I you know that that's not like at all like what the band discussion is or anything you know it's like we're just kind of making the music and uh going with the feeling so uh yeah what it sounds like is our feelings we're not necessarily trying to we're not trying to emulate a sound or or even get to a sound, but yeah, there there are influences from all over that that creep in there, you know. Um, all those things that you listed, I'm sure are are in there somehow, you know. Yeah, and I do I do collect records and I listen to a lot of old music. Um, kind of, I, I mean, I listen to music all over the map. I think you know, I yeah, that like I do listen to like a lot of old doo-wop, but I also listen to, like, a lot of, like, Greek rebetica music, which has, sounds nothing like the Sons of Rainier, so I don't, I don't know, like, you know, you know, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't also try and, like, do, like, a pseudo-Greek sounding thing, because that just wouldn't feel like me, you know, so I guess I just, you know, the influences that end up in my music are the things that maybe I can relate most to musically and, 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 you know, make the sound that, that 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 sounds like what I'm trying to convey somehow. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, some of your influences you can't actually imitate or yeah, or, and don't or even reflect. want to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a few of the musicians, two of the musicians in that band, have moved out of town, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sam moved to New Orleans. Charlie uh, moved to Sacramento, sort of, but he's also. Uh, kind of indefinitely on, on a road trip right now. So what's the plan going forward? Uh, well, there's, there's no plan, and I like it that way. Yeah, but uh, we, we are, you know, more or less on, uh, you know, broken up. We're not broken up. Uh, I don't know. What, what, I don't know how to put it, but uh, yeah, the, the Sons of Rainier are basically on like hiatus forever and we'll probably play like 
two shows a year, maybe. You guys are going to Gallus Brothers this thing. Not even. You're I closing mean, the chapter, and then you're going to show up and like 10 times a year play shows. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, there's too, too, too much too far away. Too many pieces. That's the thing, you know? If it was a duo, we could just show up. We don't have to think about it. It's something. This is a little more moving parts, and, uh, you know, and this band does like to practice, you know, like like all, you know, everybody together, which I appreciate. But, yeah, uh, I think, you know, I, I think I think essentially we're kind of, you know, more or less putting this chapter of the band, yeah, to, you know, to sleep, you know. It's all right. We're going to play the Jamboree. We'll be around a little bit, and then, uh, but when everyone's gone, I'm completely content with just playing music and uh, and moving forward in life, and yeah, yeah, music as a part of that, but it doesn't have to be the Sons of Rainier or that band, you know. Speaking of which, would you play us another song? Yeah. Hold on, before you play the song, you have to, because uh, people are going to ask, can you tell us about the guitar that you're playing? <laughs> yeah, the guitar I'm playing is just a, a cheap nylon string. It's a Yamaha classical guitar. It's like a not fancy guitar, but I, I really like it. I just picked it up recently, and, um, you know, sometimes you just gravitate towards a towards a nice little beater guitar. This this is this is the one for me right now. Beautiful. There we go. Here I drive down the fire to visit no don't want to see me That's what I'm doing For two days of crazy With owls and house cats Laying dead on the shoulder And the broken glass Picks up the sunlight and throws it in my eyes Making my tears dry As I dry And I wonder How you were doing And then I remember That just died and so I pray that you can somehow know that I love you and if there's a way for you to call me I hope that you do be a ghost in my coffee Rattle my windows as I drive Soaking in wind 
they waddle along They toss out a bone To the scaled face meth mouth Spanging the rest of As we drive And if all the gas that I have ever burned in pursuit of a harmless life, it could somehow flow like a river, it flood me right off of the earth. dramatic incredible so i'm curious when you are writing a song when you're writing lyrics it, do you have to spend a lot of time like rewriting and rewriting and trying to like massage the lyrical content into the song or does it just sort of come out uh i don't do that personally i i do that with music a little bit i'll go back and forth and mess with the chords and then totally rewrite a song musically sometimes but uh but no lyrically usually it's uh there's there's usually very little editing you know some I'll cross lines out I look through my my lyric books and um you know there's like cross lines out I'm like I wonder what if I kept that one where would that have gone but um yeah no I'm yeah I'm not much of an editor okay I want to talk about you being a guitar builder a luthier. Uh, so you've been building and repairing guitars in Bellingham for years now. You're just about to open a shop downtown. But I want to go back a little bit and just sort of hear about how you got into guitar building and repair. Um, you went to luthiery school? Is that how you say it? Luth- yeah, luthiery. Luthiery school in Phoenix in 2006. And then studied with... Uh, master luthier Todd Cambio for several months, right? It did. So I get, maybe you can just explain like how you decided to go to a luthery school. And then I'm wondering if like, was it hard to find someone to apprentice under? Like how, how does that process work? Yeah. I was tinkering with my own instruments a little bit and, uh, I had been doing woodworking at home and, and I'd been messing around with, my own instruments, uh, doing some repair work or what I thought was repair work at the time, you know, uh, and I had a friend who, who, who went to that Luthery school and I had never heard of that before. I was kind of amazed that there was a school for building guitars and fixing guitars. And, um, and yeah, a few years later I decided to go. I was, you know, I had, yeah, it, it seemed like a logical step for my my interests you know I'd been working on instruments more and more and always had an affinity for woodworking so uh, as far as finding an apprentice uh, ship situation that I think that is sort of a a difficult thing these days and um, and I don't even know if I could call what I did an apprenticeship but um, it was I was certainly very lucky to end up in that situation and uh yeah, Todd Cambio is a is a really great builder, and and I just wrote him an email. I liked his style of building, and and you know, and I wrote him an email. I sent him the pictures of the two guitars that I had built at school, and told him who I was, kind of like a little resume and an email, and basically asked him if he if he would like to have someone at his shop to help him out or anything, or if there's any way I could come and learn from him. And he he wrote back with a pretty decisive just no. But he did ask me like some question about my guitar, like how it was finished or something. And we, we struck up an email conversation and uh, it turned out we had a lot of similar interests. And so he said, well, if you're ever in the area, come visit. He, he's in Wisconsin. So I went out there and yeah, I was very lucky to end up just like, we just kind of hit uh, a common you know, it's like he's a nerd for old music, and so am I, and so we're talking about this and that, and it just seemed like okay, well, this is like 
actually somebody who like we'd probably enjoy hanging out because I, I feel like as as a builder now and somebody who at least in the community around here you know folks know who I am I, I get calls or people will ask me like do you ever need help in the shop can I apprentice can I learn and I, I appreciate that position so much but you know usually the answer is no I mean you know so I was I was lucky in that position that I was kind of deeply passionate about some of the things that he was also deeply passionate about. Not just like, I kind of want to learn to build guitars, but it was like, like we had all these very strong, similar things going, just that he was like, you know, some <laughs> miles ahead of me with it all. And uh, yeah, and he was incredibly gracious to, to, you know, to allow me to come out there. So I went and visited him. And after the visit, he was like, come on back sometime and get some guitars under your belt. And so um, so I did that like six months later. I, I went out there and spent a few months with him learning. Do you feel like you've worked yourself into a, um, a comfortable sort of zone of the types of things that you build and the stuff that you're specializing in? Or are you still like pretty broad in, in what you'll take into the shop or what jobs you'll accept? Uh, as far as the stuff that I build, I'm pretty specific I guess and people who ask me to build a guitar they kind of usually know what uh, they already know what I build and so they're asking me something in that style but uh, as far as the stuff I repair I mean you know I'm I'm, you know I'm all over the map but I mean uh, yeah again most folks know that like I'm, I'm into acoustic guitars and that's kind of maybe my specialty but uh, you know I like everything I want I want to try something on if I don't like it I won't like it but I mean uh, you know I, I like I like the opportunity to keep growing and expanding. Can you talk me through the process of someone, like people don't just call up and say like, hi, I would like one guitar, please. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like that sometimes. I mean, people say, I want to order a guitar from you. And and so then that kind of begins a, a conversation and a relationship with that person because I'm building on commission uh, custom order. So yeah, uh, you know, yeah, it takes a while. And so... I have a little bit of a wait list for my guitars. Yeah, but basically, it kind of is like that. Someone says, I want a guitar, please. And I say, okay. And then like a year or so later, then I'm like, hey, I got your guitar. But there's a lot of discussion that happens because, you know, of course, you know, we, it's like I'm I'm kind of making somebody's like uh, fantasy guitar, maybe, you know, or at least, you know, I'm trying to do the things. They're telling me what to do and I'm trying to, you know, I'm like, is this what you wanted, you know? And, right, and if they're coming to you, like, they have something specific they want, right? Yeah, for the most part, people who come to me, like, yeah, want something of the style of stuff that I build. I mean, I've turned people away where they're asking me to build something, where I'm like, actually, that's just not really what I do, and there's probably somebody else who'd be better at it, you know, but but that's never common. Most people, it seems like they, they've already done their research, and they're like, they're like, that that's the guy who I want, you know, yeah. And so you've you've had shops like you had a shop in uh, the makeshift art space for a while, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of different sort of backyard shop scenarios, right? Yeah. But you're about to open a shop in town, like an actual sort of retail shop, right? Yeah, yeah, it's totally exciting. It's been like a sort of back burner dream of mine for a long time, just opening a little guitar shop, sort of. Uh, at least partially inspired by Smash Your Guitar, which uh, was a guitar shop that used to be downtown Bellingham. When I first came to town, um, it was a small shop, vintage guitars. But yeah, it's a tiny retail shop. I'm going to have used guitars for sale. I'm going to do repair work out of there. And um, yeah, and I can't wait to get started. It's going to be called Old Standard Guitar Shop. Nice. How do you think that's going to change what your life looks like i think i'll be busy i'm 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 already busy i mean i'm taking on a different aspect of of the same type of work i do but i think yeah i'm you know i'm definitely making myself pretty busy but but i like that and i'm 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 good for that for now so then i'll just see where it leads cool yeah when do you plan on opening the doors I don't have a date yet. Uh, late July. Mid-late July. And in the meantime, we can hear you talk to us uh, on your radio show. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, on KZX 
Saturday mornings from 10 to noon, spin a bunch of records. and Yeah, you should come in and hang out sometime. I would love to. Okay. I would love to. Uh, from one radio person to another. How are we doing? Is this okay? Uh, you know, yeah, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. I'll swing by the studio. You can give me some pointers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Devin, um, I know you're a busy guy and you work all the time and uh, you got a lot of stuff going on, but I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all of this with us. I appreciate you having me in here. My pleasure. Thanks again to Devin for sharing his songs, stories, and Prosecco with us. This episode's interview was recorded at Binary Studios. Thanks, Bob. Our ad music is courtesy of Mystery Chi. Thanks, Joel. Our interviews are engineered and mixed by Andy Rick. Our theme music was written and performed by Andy Rick. And our logo was designed by Andy Rick. Thanks for everything, Andy. Little City Big Sound is a proud member of the BellPod Network, a collective of independent podcasts made right here in the city of subdued excitement. Next month, I'll sit down with Craig Jewell, who, as a young college student at Western, became the owner of the Wild Buffalo in 2008. But we'll leave you with one last song from Devin Champlin, recorded during our interview. Uh, you want to play one more song, and then we can get out of here? You betcha. I pray that I can tell the wrong